try again. Hi everyone, welcome to Moments of Truth, the show about my favorite moments from my favorite things. I'm Bill Coffin, and today we'll be discussing what is one of the funniest sports movies ever made, one that simultaneously takes the mickey out of the golfing community while earning its undying admiration. We're talking about the 1980 sports comedy classic, Caddyshack. On the opening night of National Lampoon's Animal House, that movie's writers, Harold Ramis and Doug Kenny, co-founder of National Lampoon, were approached by studio executives who knew just how much money Animal House was going to make. They wanted the next movie that Ramis and Kenny made to be theirs. So after a few pitches, they settled on what was supposed to be a coming-of-age comedy that made a deep comment about the social hierarchy within country club culture. Well, what they got was Caddyshack. Ramis and Kenny teamed with Brian Doyle Murphy, brother of Bill Murphy, to write the screenplay. Doyle Murphy brought a wealth of golf caddying memories to fuel the story, which Ramis and Kenny infused with the anarchic spirit that made Animal House work so well, a kind of rollicking, anti-establishment raunchiness that didn't really care if the Bob Hope generation got it or not. Spoiler, they, they, they didn't get it. Starring Chevy Chase, Rodney Dangerfield, Bill Murray, Ted Knight, Miles O'Keefe, and Cindy Morgan, Caddyshack was filmed in what can best be described as an 11-week bacchanalia of epic proportions, even by the standards of the late 70s. Endless quantities of booze, pot, and coke fueled things, and the story took on a deep improv style that soon rendered the screenplay completely irrelevant. The story, if we can even call it that, involves Danny Noonan, a working-class kid who caddies at the snooty Bushwood Country Club, where he hopes he'll win a caddy golf tournament and the college scholarship that comes along with it. Along the way are Judge Elihu Smales, the cheerless and stodgy co-founder of Bushwood, Ty, Ty Webb, a flaky golf pro and clubhouse playboy, Al Chervik, an obnoxiously nouveau riche addition to Bushwood, Carl Spackler, an unhinged groundskeeper who feuds with a gopher, and Lacey Underall, the resident bombshell who enjoys wrapping every man at Bushwood around her little finger. It's been said that Caddyshack was an extended party where occasionally a movie broke out. But the thing somehow got made, and it grossed $40 million bucks off of its $6 million budget. It wasn't Animal House money, but still pretty good. Critics, however, were unreceptive, but that didn't matter. Caddyshack found its audience and became a true cult classic, beloved by its fans, quoted endlessly even by people who haven't even seen the movie, and is widely considered to be one of the best golf movies ever made. Okay, that last bit may not be much of a flex, considering that Caddyshack's competition is Happy Gilmore and The Legend of Bagger Vance. But the point is, Caddyshack works. It's crude, raucous, and juvenile, but it's also hilarious, endlessly rewatchable, and something of a cinematic miracle. Now, we only have a little while before the heavy stuff starts coming down, so let's tee off. With me today is Semtex sculptor Chris Crenshaw. I trim me if I'm wrong, Shady, but if I kill all the golfers, they're going to lock me up and throw away the key. <laughs> Fresca enthusiast Tom Hespos. Breeze, gopher! <laughs> An anchor debuffer Joe Pace. Well, we're waiting. <laughs> Freaking, I've been so looking forward to Love this episode. <laughs> like we got that one right out of the gate. <laughs> I had to do it. There's no, there's no Chekhov's gun in this one. It's like, just boom, just drop it. <laughs> so, oh, God. Okay, so we're going to, all right. So let's, you know, Tom, let's start off with, I, I want to start off and give you the mic here, in part because I know of all the four of us, I think you probably love Caddyshack the most. And so I want you to start things off here. So what's your moment of truth in this movie and why do you love it so much? I love this movie. This was the like forbidden movie for us when we were kids. It was very much the, you went out and rented it at the video store during the early days of having a VCR, kept it from your parents that you had rented Caddyshack because of, you know, it's the raunchy humor and the nude scenes and, and all that neat stuff. It was, it just landed perfectly with my age group at the time. 
you can walk into a meeting, you know, in 2021 and drop a Caddyshack quote. And, you know, most of the people in the room will understand you. And I've dropped like Star Wars lines in meetings that have gone nowhere because, you know, the younger set just hasn't seen it. My moment of truth like comes in the beginning of the movie right after, you know, the scene where we see all of Danny's family and, you know, he <laughs> takes a ride on his bicycle to... And there are a lot of them. Yeah. Do, do you know, by the way, I, I tried to count all the kids in that scene. There's at least 13 distinct kids, not including the nephew who was sitting at the breakfast table. Okay. I counted them. Anyway. So funny. But, you know, my, my moment of truth comes after that. It's like, it basically sets up what is like the problem, the conflict within the movie, which is like Danny kind of doesn't know what to do with his life. And to get some advice, of course, he goes to Ty Webb, you know, the club ace, the guy who everybody wants to be and, you know, asks him for his advice. And the best thing about this scene is like Ty is just so woefully inadequate in terms of like giving this guy any kind of advice. <laughs> As to he doesn't even know how life. he got like, here. Yeah, I can't remember Danny's name. <laughs> no, 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 like, no, 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 no. He calls him Timmy. He calls him Betty. I, like, I, what the hell? Like, I can't even remember the guy's name until like he needs something from him, like his driver, you know, or yeah. his, or his wedge, yeah. or whatever. They're having this great conversation, and you know, just it, it, so many quotable lines like emerge from this this just brief exchange they have like walking the, you know, one of the holes on the golf course. And it's like, you get the whole, you know, do you take drugs, Danny? Every day. Good. Then what's the problem? You get that. You get the whole, you know, this isn't Russia. Is this Russia? You get the, you get the blindfolded scene with the be the ball. And I'm not talking. I'm not talking. Like, you get all those things in this one exchange that, that Danny and, and Ty have on the golf. And it is just such the funniest thing because like, you just get the sense like Ty, it's just so immersed in his little world of like being the club playboy and, you know, having $50,000 checks laying around his apartment and <laughs> that he just, he just doesn't care and can't relate to Danny in any way. Oh, vegetable Danny. <laughs> the lumber yard conversation. He's like, Oh, you know, uh, you know, I own two lumber yards. You know, what's wrong with the lumber yard? Uh, I noticed you don't spend too much time at them. Like, I'm not sure where they are. Yeah. Like, like two people can't be on further apart wavelengths than these two are. And this kid is like looking to die for heartfelt advice or word, and he just looking in the wrong spot. It, it's, it makes the whole thing just so hilarious. I just get a, a cackle out of it, it like several points every single time I watch it. It's so great. What I love about this scene so much is that this comes hot on the heels of you know Danny in his in his home and it's like he's caddying to to squirrel away his pennies to go to college and right. like and like his, he's like saving seven dollars at a time yeah. yeah and like like and like his dad like he, he tells his dad how much he made caddying and he puts it in the college jar and his dad can eyeball from across the room he held out a couple bucks on him like this is how tight it is in the Noonan household <laughs> And so he goes, I had five cokes. Yeah, he goes to freaking Ty Webb, and Webb is like, Webb is like, he's like from Ian Banks's culture. Like money has no meaning to him. <laughs> he lives like a post scarcity lifestyle. <laughs> so it doesn't work. What I love about the Ty Webb character, aside from the fact that this is Chevy Chase in one of his you know Hall of Fame performances, just slouchy and detached yeah. and just you know otherworldly. There's a really cool piece of satire there, right? He's sending up this like athlete as you know zen guru thing right like i mean who's your decorator benny hana it's your place carl a donut a donut without holes danish i mean like you know and he's spouting off these stupid lines and he, like he doesn't care he's high and he's rich and he doesn't care yeah. <laughs> it's beautiful <laughs> there's the initial scene when he's talking with ty when danny's talking to ty but then there's also in the middle of the movie, when you get the whole the whole Zen part that Joe was talking about, where he's like, you know, and like, like, that's been that's like part of the the vernacular. People will say that and not know where it's coming from at all. You know, absolutely. Listen, I've coached junior high kids in basketball who are twelve years old, 
who a kid will be shooting a free throw and they're going, Noonan, Noonan. They have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah, Noonan, exactly. No one knows like I was wrong. I cannot sure. even tell you how many times I've shot a Noonan at someone. Like, <laughs> I do it all it, the time. It's absolutely incalculable. Very rarely in golf, you know, like I'll do it during a basketball game. I'll do it, you know, like somebody's going to miss a fly ball I want them to miss, you know, like <laughs> Noonan, Noonan. I will be in the kitchen and my, my, my wife is dumping the pasta out of the pot into the strainer in the sink and I'm going, no, 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 no. What are you talking about? Joe, Joe's willing to risk his own food just to get a good crack in. No, no, miss it, miss it. This is your dinner, not, not to mention burn wounds on his wife. Yeah. Exactly. Anything for a laugh, man. Comedy has no limits. <laughs> the only thing I like about Ty is that at this point in Chevy Chase's career, he was considered to be a really handsome guy, right? And I can never quite put that together because I always thought of him as the guy like falling over things and just like just, right. you know, just as Gerald Ford. Yeah, I couldn't understand the yeah. appeal. He and Lacey Underall, you know, you know, decided that you know that they, they have I was born they, to rub you. Right. You were born to oh. rub me first. That whole scene is so bonkers because it's like, okay, it, it, like, like what happens inside his swanky bachelor pad? And it's like even more nutty than that. Yeah, right. <laughs> like he's, he's decanting old bottles of water into a new bottle of shaking to give it to her. Like it's completely shambolic. <laughs> there, that's that tequila scene at the organ where they're playing and he's just like, you know, she's like hammered and they're just like, it just, it's all just, it's all so, so slapdash and goofy. You're like, what the, like, how is this guy? Like he's a serial. I was this guy winning at life with that kind of a yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's the whole point, right? That Chevy Chase, Chevy Chase portrayed this like slouchy charisma better yeah. than yeah. even frankly yeah. even better than than Bill Murray does. That's not Bill Murray's wheelhouse, even though he plays it sometimes. Like yeah. Chevy yeah. Chase, if you put in this, you put in Fletch, you put in Spies Like Us. This guy plays this this character who like. Says things to him and he and he does like the the like the side eye the kind of like squinty like I I know yeah. I'm full of it I know I'm lying but somehow it's all gonna work out anyway but like the vacation yeah. movies it's like oh, right yeah, yeah yeah everything has always worked out for Ty like he doesn't understand when off. things don't work out yeah. Yeah. yeah why wouldn't they work out things just work out you know what's um, his whole philosophy he absolutely says, a force in the universe that makes things happen just wait for things to happen you know like, to ball. a kid who you know can't wait for things to happen because he <laughs> he's got to scrape together a you know that's college fund 30 bucks at a time it's white episcopal privilege it's white, right. it's white protestant yeah. privilege you yeah he, 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 he is like you know <laughs> new england yeah. wasp yeah probably yeah absolutely what, what, what are you even worried father, about danny like his father was a member of bushwood and you get the sense that he like grew up yeah. there he grew up his father like, was co-founder he and his father exactly we'll get to that later yeah <laughs> so why is he winning at life i think that tying that, up with that, one of your ties yeah, tie, tie. <laughs> It's like people don't say this in real life. Come on, man! No. Like it's, just, it's like this. That's so the cocaine talking. So, <laughs> exactly. I mean, this, yeah. whole, this whole movie is like that's the cocaine talking. It's it all is. Don't sell so. yourself short, Bill. You're a tremendous sludge. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, like I'm gonna go. I'm gonna take the next moment of truth. I think <laughs> we're gonna go from a guy who effortlessly wins at life to a guy who really had to work for everything, and that's that's Al Chervik, who's probably my favorite character in the whole the whole movie. Played masterfully by Rodney Dangerfield. And Rodney Dangerfield at the time was not a screen talent. Like he was a, a very successful stand-up comedian, regular guest star on the Johnny on Johnny Carson's Tonight Show and, and would just slay every night. He was just the best kind of self-deprecating insult humor and just, just, just hilarious. So this is like his first time getting on the big screen. And <laughs> His, his first big scene is, you know, is basically he shows up. He's a real estate developer with no class at all, but all the money in the world. <laughs> shows up in a Bentley that's playing We're in the Money on the car horn. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> like, it's, it's like hey, Wang, like, oh, this place is restricted, so don't tell him you're Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> right. He goes through the pro shop and just, like, buys everything and is, like, insulting the crap out of Judge Smales, who's there watching him come in like what has happened like an elephant has like just bashed through the wall and smells like oh my god my beloved club oh my god and, the bourgeoisie is here yeah yeah he's like you know it's like oh this is the worst i've ever seen oh it looks it's good, good on, on you though, though. <laughs> you know um and, and so there's that there's this like it's not like a minute and a half long but like dangerfield is just machine gunning jokes left and right like you're, you're overwhelmed by it 
But the, the great, but then it moves into his first round of golf at at Bushwood, which is this like extended scene of just of just Chervik proving why Smales would never want him there, right? And it's just and it's just like just, it's just, just it's norm like, breaking. Yeah, it's, norm breaking is exactly it. They're starting. They're getting ready to go. This is one of my favorite details about this movie. Is they're getting ready, they're getting to go and like Smales' party is ahead of Trevik's party, right? And like wherever Trevik goes, the 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 younger people are like, hey, Al, glad to see you. But the old stodgy folks, I know you swear, he's behind Smales, and Smales is like doing the typical like micro adjustments a million, you know, many times, to, you know, to, to to get things going, taking forever. And he goes, <laughs> he goes, hey, let's get moving while we're young, <laughs> right? And you get him going. That line is so great. The U.S. Golf Association actually had a couple years ago the While We're Young campaign to explain <laughs> to people what they could do to not slow down golf matches so much. <laughs> While we're young. Isn't that, isn't that the best thing? It just slaughters me. Like, it's so good. Um, but, you know, but then, then the scene keeps going on where, you Stop know. Stop being such golf players. Yeah, 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 seriously, you know. Can it be a handball player? He hits the golf ball. Of course, you know, groins, smells with it. It's like, oh, I shoot, he's like, four, I should have yelled two. You know, it's a, <laughs> right in the business district with one of his bright orange golf balls. <laughs> At one point, he, he's like, smells is like so rattled by it, like near the end. He just rolls up and goes, hey, smells, 100,000 bucks, this just slice. Smells is like, gambling at Bushwood is illegal, sir, and I never slice. And then, of course, promptly slices the ball. <laughs> you know, and he's like, yeah, great, you can owe me it. Graciously. <laughs> So he's doing all these things, but my favorite part about this whole this whole thing is, and this is the part that I can't get through, is Trevik brings on the green this this Titanic golf bag that is like it's like magical, like it's got all Loopy's this crap. Dog house. Yeah, it's yeah, it's like Felix the Cat's magic bag, right? Like, and and they set it up because the cat, the kid catting him tries to, tries to pick up this golf bag. It's as big as he is, and he's like staggering around under the weight of it, like it's so massive. He gets ready to golf, and a club just auto ejects out of the out of the bag into his hand. You're like, what the hell? Like, like Q Branch designed his golf bag, right? And then, and that was a she caddy. Yeah, yeah that's right. Um, <laughs> but then later on, like, it's got a, a television in it. It's got She's a steer- watching like a cowboy. It's got a cowboy box. <laughs> right? It's got it's got a, a it's got a stereo in it. Like so so let's dance. They play Journey and everybody starts dancing on the golf club and smells like just going bonkers, right? It's just like, like why would, Yeah, yeah, like why would a dance party break out on a golf course? It's just so so dumb. But it's why don't you, you improve your lie, sir? <laughs> Um, there's a beer tap in the in the golf bag. And a keg in it. <laughs> Put a keg in it. Yeah, there's like a 12 year old girl carrying a quarter keg around. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> and then at the end, like the when puttery gets out, it's actually got like a some sort of bomb sight attached to the putter. <laughs> so it's like it's like <laughs> it's a laser sighted putter. <laughs> it's a laser sighted putter. It's like dude, dude, dude. Hey, it kicks it Billy Baru's ass right there. Yeah, right. It's just oh. It's so. Oh, Billy, Billy, Billy. Uh, we'll, we'll get to Billy, <laughs> but yeah, but it's 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 just, it's just so it's so good, and this is the moment where Dangerfield just he he lands like a meteor in this Bushwood world, <laughs> and it's just and, and, the and meteor that killed the dinosaurs. It's like, even if Smales wasn't there, it would be hilarious. But Smales is there, just kind of set up you know the foil for it, and it's oh, so good. And Ted Knight is so good as Smales, and just his outrage at this thing is so fantastic, and. Anybody who's ever bumped up against country club culture in any way, shape, or form, this this, this drama is like, <laughs> there's always a sort of thing like, you know, do you feel like you belong there or do you not, you know? And this is like a a mighty blow struck in favor of those who don't belong. <laughs> just Al Trevick just showing up unbidden, just bam, here he is. It's just, but that, and What's he doesn't throw it for him. It, it, it's like, oh, he, God, he's it like the... Because he that's his that's his stand up is he just overwhelms you with he just keeps you hitting you joke after joke after joke and you don't have a chance to recover. Yeah. But it's like it's a perfect character for him because like he arrives like the Kool Aid Man like through the right. wall you know and just never lets up. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> it matches his style and every it's yeah. perfect for Dangerfield. It's so great. <laughs> well, the jacket he's wearing when he first shows up, it's like it looks Madden. like somebody skinned the fruit striped zebra. I mean, it's just like. It's <laughs> It's this riot of vertical stripes that does not belong together. Like what could the be hell the mayor that? down on for Jaws? But the yeah. um, That's the worst looking hat I ever saw. What's <laughs> oh, going on you though? The uh, Al and Judge Smale's relationship is soured from the beginning because the Gophers are coming in 
from across the street from Al's construction site. Right. That's right. So, well, at least at least so the groundsman says. So the, the ground groundskeeper says, and I'm not really convinced he's an authority. Well, <laughs> Smales passing the buck, yeah. Judge Smales has reason to believe from his highly compensated professional grounds crew that <laughs> gophers that are depredating his golf course are coming from Al Trevick's construction site across the street. So he is predisposed to hate this guy before he ever shows up and starts. You know, yeah. launching nuclear putts. Right, as a as a guest, <laughs> and and oh man, how like I, I wish we had had a scene where Smales established who invited this mf'er. I, I've asked that question many times. <laughs> Whose guest is he? No, no, he's a guy. It, it actually mentioned during the dinner scene. You know, his his wife was like Elihu. Who's that disgusting man? He's like, oh, he's a guest of the so and so's. And I um, think hey, you want to earn fourteen dollars the hard way. <laughs> You must have been something before electricity. Must have been free bowl of soup. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> the $14 the hard way is the best freaking line. <laughs> I thought I was going to die. I, I still do every time I see it. It's just like, oh. I, I had not seen this. So there's like a, so unlike Tom, I didn't always keep watching this movie. I saw it a bunch of times when it first, like, you know, when I was an early teenager, and it was like on cable or whatever, and I would see it. And then there's like a good, like, you know, 20 year period where i really didn't see it again and i i went back to it had kind of forgotten a lot of the lines and especially like the danger field lines that are just so fast and furious and that that hey baby you want to earn 14 bucks the hard way the way he delivers it i i almost yeah chris i almost died like i almost just stopped stopped breathing it was so funny i just couldn't take it because he's like he's just he's just Stiff-arming everybody in the room who deserves it. Ten of these and fifteen of these. Yeah, yeah. Give me some of those naked lady tees. Yeah. Ten of those. In, in, in that dinner scene, in in the span of thirty seconds, he insults Smales's uniform. Okay, he says he he says he understands why tigers eat their young upon looking at Spalding. Right. Okay. He sure. says something about the bishop. And then he turns around and then double insults Smales' wife to Smales' face. I mean, like, it, it gets, it gets so... He calls her a whore. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, holy crap. Right. It's it's but, but Probably more about... important, he insults the food at Bushwood, which, which offends <gasps> Smales more than... Dog food? Dog food? <laughs> you think of the cleaver? Dog food? But, but he also two, talks two guys about to the hold steak. the chef back. Like, you can still see where the jockey was hitting it. <laughs> There are people out in the world who tried using the lines Dangerfield busted out in that scene in real restaurants and they got their asses handed them for it. There was only one Rodney. Yeah, like they woke up in the hospital wondering what happened. Yeah. But, but, you know, I love that though that you were saying earlier about the country club culture, Bill. Like, I getting just the distaste for that all through my childhood. And like, that's one of the reasons why this movie just paid off double for me. It was like, my mom grew up essentially at a country club. Uh, like when I was in middle school and early high school, I played, played for my high school's golf team. The course we would go out on at the time was a private club. Oh God, you could feel the disdain like weighing mm. on you if you broke any of the etiquette rules. And like, I would have friends who were like, they would just put a tee in the middle of the green and tee off and take a big stripe out of the green, like just for fun. And you could just like, the, uh, like the, oh my God, you know, like sense of like, you've ruined the universe, like just fell on you. And like, you just, it was so easy to develop a disdain for that, that like, yeah. it, that's one of the reasons why they hit a home run, like, you know, p- pitting the, you know, the country club people against, you know, the, the, the slobs as they call them. It's yeah. so great. You're right. Tom. Classic I mean, rivalry. I, you know, what, what is more mockable than golf? It, it is <sighs> the most, uh, to call it a sport <laughs> is to laugh. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's the team only because, like, you know, like, wow, we look, can go out every you know, day on a course I, that costs like eighty bucks to play. You know, like, <laughs> look, I can guzzle I'm beer and cuss with the best of them. As far as I can tell, that's what it's about. You know. <laughs> yeah. It, I. <laughs> no. So, so, Tom, my growing up experience wasn't, as far as country clubs go, wasn't entirely dissimilar from yours. So, my dad's father 
Uh, my dad my dad was an attorney. His father was a much more successful local attorney and had all the trappings that went with it. He was on local boards and that sort of thing, but it was also, you know, one of the big wigs at the local country club. The local country club, you had to be part of it to be part of the scene professionally and all that sort of stuff. So my dad was like, you have to be part of it. It would actually be a poor showing on his father if he didn't merit membership in the country club. And it was expensive and my dad hated it. He had to pay for it. And we never really went there. Like periodically we'd go to eat there. It was just such a small universe. Like there's the people, there were certain families who were there and Everybody had something to say about everybody about somebody else's business, and it was like very catty, and just like very people just loved to just cut each other down. It was this, this weird, weird place. So the vibe was awful. So we hated going there, and I like they had a pool, and I just never went there, and I just I just hated it. It actually turned me off to even trying golfing. I was like, why hang out with these people? I can't stand it. So I totally get what you're saying, Tom. Like watching, I think things why when I watch Al just show up and just lay to waste all the norms of this 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 carefully groomed microculture, he just he just lays it to waste like invading barbarians. Instantly, it yeah. will it will yeah. never not make me laugh. It's just so funny because it's like the Visigoths coming into a palace exactly. made of glass. It's like, it's like oh, here, I hear here you, Bill. My God, like when I growing up, basically my grandfather was like president of the Strathmore Vanderbilt in. Um, uh, Manhasset, New York, you know, big snooty country club. And my dad was from North Bergen. Like, <laughs> working class, you know, like, dad worked for the railroad kind of thing. So, that, like, Caddyshack, that conflict in Caddyshack is like yeah. the conflict of my childhood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Between the two uh, cultures. It's so great. It, 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 but I hear it, what you're saying. Like, yeah. we used to go to the pool at Strathmore Vanderbilt. It wasn't even fun to swim in because people no. were always yelling at you for whatever, yeah. you know. If you yeah. weren't there, like swimming, you know, in the lanes or whatever, you're there just to have a good time. Like they, they wouldn't let you have like rafts or anything in the pool. Like yeah. Addie no. Gay when they all jump in the pool, but it was no. none of that. It was all very structured and, uh, yeah. you know, oh, the the water ballet team, the synchronized swimming team is having a practice over there. There was always something going on that yeah. prevented you from having any fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so yeah. easy to send up that yeah. culture. It's, so yeah, great. it's really important that you don't have fun though. Yeah, that was the thing. <laughs> this isn't for having fun. This is for being seen. Get it right. You know, <laughs> I, mean, I, just, I just couldn't understand why there was so much effort put into a place that was so not fun to be around. You know, it was it was, yeah. just, it was just the strangest. It just made so little sense to me. And um, yeah, I, I have I have had uh, more recent country club experiences as an adult, and let me assure you, those people are not. <laughs> as buttoned up as they want you to think. <laughs> and they're not quite sure where to vomit. Well, I'll tell you, my, I'll tell you my country club story is <laughs> now my dad. So my dad had a brother who was seven years older than him, George. And George was really, a, he was a big fan of golf, really loved going to the country club. But George was super awesome dude. Uh, he was an in insurance, did well for himself, but was not a snooty kind of guy whatsoever. He was he was he was much more altruistic than than Judge Smales. Let me put it that way. He had his crew that he would go golfing with, and you know he was well known at the nineteenth hole and all that. And he's kind of a local. He's kind of a legend at the country club. Just to get to the point, like the kind of folks who were there, because he had this extraordinarily acrimonious divorce with his uh, with his, his his wife Jean, and uh, for years had to pay you know alimony or whatever. And he plays a back nine the day he finally paid off the alimony, and he walks into the. <laughs> He, he plays a nice back nine, goes to the 19th hole with his crew, sits down, orders a drink, and goes, well, finally paid my last alimony check. I guess I can die now. And bam, is struck dead by a heart attack instantly. Right? Dropped <laughs> oh, it. my God. <laughs> drops Drop dead. <laughs> drops dead. Okay. But then he's lying on the floor, okay, and the drinks come. And everyone's like, well, George would want us to not waste the drinks. And the guys have their drink. <laughs> While their buddy is on the floor laid out, oh, and I'm man. like, I'm like, oh. <laughs> I think I'm, I'm like, and I would aspire to join this. <laughs> that, that is country club culture, yeah. Right? Oh, like, I mean, it's like, how, what the hell? I just can't yeah, possibly see, understand it. My story could not be told in this context, or you know, huh. in, in this medium. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's it, it, it's not family safe. Huh. <laughs> well, let's put it that way. Are you going to get us an explicit tag from uh, Apple? Here, Chris? As we as we uh, as we make the rounds, you know, my, my dad was a cop in New Hampshire. I mean, I I never touched a golf club until I was in my thirties, and um, I only picked one up because I went to work for a bank, and 
I had customers and they're like, oh, let's go golfing. And I'm like, sure. Okay. I show up. I'm in jeans and sneakers. You know what I mean? I don't have spikes or golf shorts or whatever. <laughs> right. And I'm hitting the thing and I'm hitting it a country mile, you know, straight to the left or whatever. <laughs> and it just, yeah. I mean, the culture was, the, everyone kind of look at you like, like, where's your apricot shirt? And yeah. like, I, I, this is how I dress, man. I don't know. You know, it's, what the heck? I, I had no problem. The plaid on your pants is sadly inadequate yeah exactly <laughs> denim is yeah right i couldn't help but notice that the gap between your rails on the seersucker are perhaps a little too comfortable with each other if you know what i mean <laughs> and you know i just and again country club is not as much it's not a thing here it might be a thing down like in boston and massachusetts but not up in new hampshire like it's just not part of yeah of what we do from among other things vermont um, maybe uh so <laughs> <laughs> You don't get that. It's not the same. It's not the same culture. We we do it. It's more around skiing up here than it is around yeah. around golf. But the country club experience is one I've never really gone and and seen. But certainly class issues uh, I've encountered and Caddyshack pillories, absolutely pillories class yeah. issues, as well as just about any movie I've ever seen. Well, a lot of that comes from Doyle Murray, who helped write the movie, right? So so the Murray, like Bill Murray. And his family, they they're all like super into golfing. Like apparently yeah. their father had caddied somebody who was in like a like big like open championship in like nineteen twenty two or something like that. They had all caddied at a particular club as well. And like a lot of what you see in Caddyshack is really autobiographical, taken from the the, the Murray kids' own upbringing, right? Just things they saw. And it made a real impact on on Doyle Murray in particular, how you know, he's like you would see these caddies who are in like, you know, in jeans and bare feet carrying, you know, the heavy toys for these people of privilege. And like, it really made an impression upon them. And they- Poor caddying. Well, well, I mean, you know, when they, when they first wrote the movie, they really did want there to be a, a lot more about just sort of, you know, taking a look at the social classes within a country club, right? And how like there's the help, right? The capital H help. And they are not to, you know, they're not to interface with the guests, right? Unless you're, you know, yeah, yeah, that sort of thing. And, and of course, mountains of cocaine broke down that whole writing, you know, structure. And so you got Caddyshack instead, right? <laughs> right? But, 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 because but then, even the poor people can be taking yeah. cocaine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In the Caddyshack universe, everybody has cocaine. Okay, it's like that's the great social le this leveling field is cocaine. You know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, but but the nature of that humor still you exists. You owe me though, one right? gumball machine <laughs> filled with cocaine. <laughs> so anyway, right. So moving on, uh, Joe, you want to talk us through your moment, your moment of truth, because I know it's about oh, as God. far. What you, the guy you're going to talk about, is as far from Chervik as we can possibly get. Yeah, I mean, this is. Um, we've covered Ty Webb and we've covered Al Chervik, and, and, and every great comedy needs a straight man. You know, Graham Chapman with Monty Python, it, you know, uh, race dance with the Ghostbusters. Every great comedy needs a straight man. And Ted Knight might very well be the greatest straight man in the history of American comedy. Oh, God. And his, his performance as Judge Elihu Smales is <laughs> pitch perfect. It is a Hall of Fame performance from a very talented actor. Yeah. And, and he inhabits Judge Smales with this this stuffed shirt certitude that serves as the as the pinata for the rest of these guys and yet he never ever breaks the character no. ever there's no redemption there's no there's no, no self-awareness there's none of that self-awareness sorry this guy <laughs> smells inhabits a world that is very well ordered it makes sense people know their place and he is very much at the ape he's the apex predator of this of this class system from when he's ordering the poor black clubhouse guy to put a nice buff chamois on those <laughs> shoes with a with a chamois like get that on there chop chop you know yeah. and uh, all the way to the way he bullies his developmentally delayed nephew <laughs> Is no, that, 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 I guess. No. <laughs> Sp I want a hamburger. No, it's you'll get nothing. You'll like it. I want a hot dog. Yeah. I want a milk. You'll get nothing. You'll like it. Like males. Stop, Megan. The quote from a different stop, movie. Stop, males stop, 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 Joe, stop. <laughs> Smells. Tom, Tom, please say the line. No, say the line. 
please. What? Which one? <laughs> the sp- Spoon Spalling's at the dinner at the dinner table. Oh, God. <laughs> Drop it, please. You're going to eat your fat? <laughs> Uh. <laughs> yeah. it's a thing and it's just so funny oh my there, god there is no there is no social circle so beautiful that it can prevent a spalding from from dwelling within it like some troll in the dungeon sorry sorry that kid by the way that kid going around and drinking all the larry from that people have left behind him with a cigarette in it right best Physical comedy <laughs> acts I've ever seen. It makes me want to retch every time I see it. Oh, honestly, it's so perfect. <laughs> it's so gross. Yeah. You can see it happening. You can yeah. see it moving down this line. Like, yeah. Anyway, Joe, I completely no, 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 you. But, I'm sorry. But, just but, the smells. I mean, no, the Spalding thing. Smells just. He, <laughs> he is 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 very old world. He does not want anything to change ever, and he feels that he has earned his place atop this social ladder. And his world starts to crumble around him, particularly with the arrival of Chervik. And he, he's not a big fan of that at all. Yeah, no. This guy, he, he doesn't understand what a truly small fish he really is. That's why I love the scene when he's in his little little boat that he gets and he's all excited about right. his boat. <laughs> his in. little boat. The, the flying wasp. See the grin. <laughs> Your ship has come in. And you've got oh the stock God. market beat. <laughs> yeah. But the man who's worthwhile is the man who can smile. When his pants are too tight in the seat. <laughs> so, and then Chervik so comes along. It's so gradatory laugh. It's so smarmy. It's so terrible. It's like a high-class Pee Wee Herman, let's be honest. Chervik <laughs> comes along and drops the anchor from his massive yacht through, hey, you scratched my anchor. Oh, my God. Like, and, <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's just such that that moment right there is is encapsulates oh, the God. entire Caddyshack sequence, right? It's just like here's Trevick dropping his anchor who <laughs> smells his little boat. But that's not the moment I want to talk about. That's not my moment of truth. My moment of truth comes in an interchange between Judge Smells and Danny. After Danny has had an interlude with Lacey Underall, who is Smells' niece. Um, not and- his fault. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, she... She's the kind of girl who has a certain mm, mm, zest for loving. <laughs> zest for life. So, <laughs> so the judge says to Danny, he wants to like Danny. He's trying. He perceives himself as a, as a mentor to young men. And he He's says, a young he, Irish boy. He says, you know, despite what happened, I'm convinced you have many fine qualities. I think you can still become a gentleman someday if you understand and abide by the rules of decent society. Patsy passed Danny on the shoulder and he says, mm, Danny, Danny, there's a lot of, uh, well, badness in the world today. I see it in court. I've sentenced boys younger than you to the gas chamber. Didn't want to do it, but I felt I owed it to them. And I'm just like, that to me, one of the things this movie does so brilliantly, and I, I credit it to Ramis and Murray for their writing. The characterization that they're able to do with dialogue, yeah, so brilliantly, brilliantly accomplished, and it's it's hand in hand with the actors that they get and the performance, the Hall of Fame performances they get from these actors. Ted Knight is Judge Smales, and he he sees the world in black and white. There are yeah. no shades of gray, and this concept of like, I owed it to them to send them to the gas chamber, like. No, 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 no. You'll never grow if I don't abuse you. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. And just, it is, it is so brilliant. And, and I, I want you guys to throw down with your favorite Judge Mills. Ted Knight. How about Rob, a fresca? <laughs> <laughs> this movie gate. doesn't work without Ted Knight. It doesn't work without him. I don't care. You no, don't, it doesn't. He is the <laughs> heart of the movie. <laughs> he is the absolutely the heart of the movie. He, his performance is... Yeah, look, uh, we all, well, I grew up with Ted Knight. I mean, he was like sort yeah. of on everything. Yeah, he was for a long time in the 70s. <laughs> yeah. And, but this moment, like for anybody else, this performance would be career defining. For him, it's just another arrow in his quiver. <laughs> I mean, Knight is, he, that guy's a big deal. Well, you're talking about the guy who did Chuckles the Clown. I mean, th- this guy has chops, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, Ted, you know where you know where you'll find an early uh, an early appearance of Ted Knight is at the end of Psycho, Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. He actually really? plays one of the he actually plays one of the guards watching over Norman Bates, who's incarcerated. Believe it or not, if you go back and watch That's the end a good of it, role and, and, and you'll see him like, "Ooh, there he is!" And he's like, <laughs> "Threw away the key." Felt I owed it to him. I have to say though. <laughs> I th- I know for a fact that Tom enjoys this movie more than almost anything else. And I know that Tom also really enjoys Fresca. I've seen him drinking it, and I- <laughs> and Tom's like, "This is the movie that single handedly killed Fresca as a brand." <laughs> was- All right, so like <laughs> my experience in marketing, you know that when somebody makes us like. How about a Fresca? You know, like you can just feel the case sales going down. Like, I I just have this theory. I don't have any data to support it whatsoever. That that just killed the brand. I mean, it's all true. It's this like little stupid brand that Coke has that like they sell like during COVID. They basically like kind of suspended it because you know oh there's an aluminum can shortage and we need that for you know real Coke. We're not gonna you know waste on little. Fresh brand fresh here. Yeah. I love this stuff. I love it so much. It's a great diet soda. I always have a case in my fridge. It is so good. It is so refreshing. I love this impassioned defense Tom has for Fresca. And then they did it again with the boys. I know you say keep it self-contained, but they did it again. I think that was an homage to Caddyshack. And yeah, he's gonna have possibly, to possibly. But slagging so- Fresca has become a thing, and it is not cool because I love the drink. I honestly did not even know Fresca was a brand before Caddyshack. <laughs> I just love that. It's like, did you think it's now a loser brand because of Caddyshack? Well, I, that, both. <laughs> it is a loser brand. I just think it takes. I just love how it takes the slightest nudge on Tom to get him to like really start repping Fresca like passionately. So, like, I wanted to get a Fresca T-shirt for tonight, but I couldn't find anything that has the Fresca logo on it. It's I just wonder such why. A loser brand. Now. <laughs> you check your local death row, maybe. <laughs> There's, there's the thing about the thing I love about smells. This is it, it's kind of a one scene after Chervik angers him with the whole you know uh, how he how he arrives. He he slices and then Noonan is caddying for him. And he's like, why don't you improve your lie, sir? And he's kicking the ball. He's like, oh yeah, mm, winter rolls. Mm, yeah, after he's done like, it about four times. Yeah. yeah so this yeah, guy, Dan, Danny is actually making an ironic comment there. Yes. Yeah. Why don't you improve your lie, yeah. sir? But the whole point is that Smells is all like, oh, I'm high and mighty, but here he is. He'll break the rules to suit himself. Crap for the rules. Oh, it's so brilliant. He is white privilege. Yeah, I mean, that's what he he is. is. One of the things I love about this scene that you called out, though, Joe, is that it's really Ted Knight's scene in a movie when he doesn't get too many scenes to himself, right? So much of them, apparently, from what I understand, Knight actually was kind of grumpy on set because he's a he's a he's a straight up he's an actor actor right and apparently he would show up 15 minutes for every call like ready to go he'd have his lines cold he's totally ready everybody else is either hammered asleep hungover like yeah. there, there's improv and that sort of thing so he was actually like the guy trying to be a professional in this like lunatic asylum right <laughs> and so he was like apparently he really resented just the nature of the shoot and was just trying to get his job done like a real professional so this scene is like, you know, it's almost like suddenly, because like we're in Smales' world, we're also in Knight's acting world. And there's like, there's an order to the scene, and there's a quietness, and everything gets delivered, it's all by the numbers. And it's like, it's his scene to inhabit. And even then, it's still super funny. You didn't need him to be like knocked around by the likes of, you know, Chevy Chase and Bill Murray and Ronnie Dangerfield to be funny. He could be funny all on his own within this, just within that character. And I thought that was really masterful of him. He also has one of the great entrances all time he comes into the clubhouse and there are these guys sitting there playing cards and they're playing fish or whatever the heck they are at go fish and the, one guy says to the other and they're in there like you know kind of sloppy clothes and night walks in always impeccable right with the yeah. tie and suit and all and he walks in and these guys do you have any eights and he goes don't you have homes <laughs> <laughs> 
amaze me every time. He's just like, he shows up in the clubhouse and he's resentful that there are people who spend time in the clubhouse. It's like, it's like the guy that goes to the strip club and he's like, I, every time I'm in here, I see you. You must come here all the time. <laughs> this is right around the time he had somebody's brown Audi towed from his personal parking <laughs> the guy who gets up and runs out <laughs> everybody else pronounces that audi he pronounces it audi uh, yeah <laughs> i think you know joe you're asking like you know what's your favorite moment with smells for me it's it's at the end when you know it's the end of the golf tournament and he's really got to sink this putt and he goes i think this calls for the old billy Baru. <laughs> he brings oh, billy, 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 billy. oh billy billy Eighty thousand dollars, Billy. <laughs> He's like cooing to this putter, this magical Excalibur-like putter for him, and like has never failed him. He's got a special case. It's just like the way he just like the only genuine affection we see out of this guy the entire time is towards this putter, <laughs> so he doesn't lose an enormous amount of money. I mean, like eighty thousand dollars is a lot today in nineteen eighty. Like that that golf game they were betting on, that was about like $300,000 worth of money on the line there. Okay, that was a lot. <laughs> you know, so to see him just like begging in desperation to an inanimate object, it was just, like, it's just awesome. Like that, that's the real breakdown of a man. The fact that he loses and has to pay, he understands that. He just doesn't like it. But here he is like actually like having communion <laughs> with an inanimate object. It was so handsome. Was a big one, Billy? Loved it. So good. It's just the last thing, uh, the, the last thing, uh, honestly, about Smales is the line when Danny is trying to like uh, sweet talk him about the scholarship. And he's like, you know, I had planned to go to law school, but my parents don't have the money. And and I'm Knight does not care. The world needs <laughs> dish diggers too. <laughs> the number of times I have said <laughs> that. Oh my God. Like, Every wow. time my kid fails a test, it's like, well, the world needs dish diggers too. <laughs> he just throws that comment over his shoulder while he's walking. It's so, it's yeah, I don't so dis- care about you. It's so dismissive. Yeah, I just don't care. Oh, it's uh, so fantastic. The thing about Ted Knight, though, is you know our mutual friend uh, Sean Moynihan gave me the book about you know the Cinderella storybook, and the yeah. whole prologue is about the press conference from like you know a couple of weeks before the movie released, which they had at Danger Fields, and it, it describes you know Bill Murray and you know Chevy Chase, like everybody basically showing up like all hungover, like yeah. bombed out, like halts after this eleven week debacle you know it's debauchery every freaking day but there's ted knight all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed the consummate professional looking to like really promote the movie like uh you know what's his face had a total meltdown during the press conference but there's ted knight all happy you know like yeah this movie's the greatest thing since sliced bread you know total professional it it, it totally bears noting that 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 sean he mentioned he will be on on an episode of this podcast when we discuss uh, something that is a topic near and dear to his heart but Recently, as like a COVID project, Sean had arranged kind of a, a live reading on, you know, online of, of Caddyshack, where a bunch of us got involved. My, Tom and I were invited to be part of it, and and, we, and we're just, you know, just basically, re, you know, reading off this thing, you know, in a group reading, and it was hilarious. And he played Smales, and his, I mean, we've all been the kind of joking, doing the whole smarmy, you know, hmm, hmm, Mr. Scholarship winner, hmm. Sean does it in a way, like, I just... I just start giggling. As soon as he does it, I just start giggling and snorting, and I just can't help myself. And it's like, I know I'll be in a place one day where it's important that I'm, like, being quiet and respectful, and he'll just come up and go, hmm, hmm, and I'll, I'll just start, you know, it'll be like a state funeral or something, and I'll just start laughing hard. It's like, I, just, I know it. I know he has that power over me. It's terrible. It's so terrible. So. Right, so, so, so moving on, uh, I think, Chris, let's get to your moment of truth, because you picked an interesting one, but it opens up lots of things about this movie that we haven't gotten to yet. So, so take it away. So, I, you know, Bill, I hadn't seen this movie. It was released in 1980. I was nine at the time. I don't guess I saw it until at least high school, maybe even college. It became such a touchstone during college that, that, that I, I can hardly even express it. So my, my moment of truth is actually at the very end of the film when the groundhog has survived you know spackler's assassination attempts and and he just he does his little dance i'm all right and you know he 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 gets his shoulders going and his hips going that dance like you you can do it sitting in a chair with just like a couple of little like tiny little motions and and it's so expressive that dance for my closest friends in college 
like I could come out of an exam and do that little dance and, and they would know that it had gone well. <laughs> I, I could be uh, at a party hitting on a girl. I could turn to my friend and say, mm, do the little dance. And, and he would know, oh yeah, Chris is making time. And, <laughs> and, and there are just so, so many moments like that in this movie that, that gained currency that became part of my sense of humor right at the beginning of the movie bill murray's character who will always be my favorite carl spackler he's at a ball cleaner you know <laughs> making that suggestive ball cleaner motion <laughs> oh mrs crane i'm looking at you you are green so you could hide i don't blame you oh, you're a tramp Ooh. <laughs> mean, you're, mean. you're, you're a little smart. monkey woman <laughs> like like uh, i mean i i I, I could turn to a friend and say she wore green and, and, and he would know what that meant or, you know, oh, she's a little monkey woman. That, that meant that, you know, he was maybe out of my league, but dag on. Maybe 40 years older. Maybe. maybe. Would you like to wrap your spikes around my head? All these old ladies. That's part of that. <laughs> Carl, Carl Mackin on these women. This is such a creepy kind of guy. Like, it's it's just awful. Awful. Like, like I'm so nobody. ashamed that I find it so funny, but I do. <laughs> I like, it's it's, it's it's just so it's so awfully funny. Like yeah. like here yeah. you just you, you cringe and you know. I, I gotta go into this dude's belt and crawl around for a few days. No. <laughs> there, there, there are so many moments in this movie that that spill out into life. When I was thinking about the film, I couldn't lay my lay my hand on on what made it so immortal. Like uh, I, I I tried watching it a couple of nights ago. Uh, my, my my son Eli, who's fifteen, came over. And I'm like, hey, I need to watch this movie for the podcast, so let's try it. And, and we get like ten minutes in, and he's just like stone faced. <laughs> it's just, it's not landing. <laughs> and, <laughs> and and so I'm just like, okay, we'll we'll do something else. I'll come back to this. I, I finished watching the movie again, and I'm like, yeah, like like the plot is thin like at the start of the movie it, it maybe appears to be some sort of class thing but then at the end it's just rich people playing for money and maybe danny having a stake in it the stakes are not necessarily clear it, it doesn't I, I don't know it doesn't it doesn't necessarily hang together super well but it's all of these moments all of these comic moments that just they just cascade. Yeah. I mean, you know, Smales is is just a work of genius. That 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 character <laughs> is amazing. Ty, Carl, Danny himself, even Sandy. You know, Brian Doran Murray was one of the the writers. You're a good egg, Danny. She needs you. Pick that up. Pick that up. But <laughs> 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 Chris, you've got you've got four amazingly talented comedic actors who pitch perfect games at the same time. Yeah. And I think right. that's what makes the movie. And that, that's what it is. It's, it's not, it's not the story. It's not the script. It's not, it's, it's a not a plot. It's, it's all about performance and yeah. the moment. And, and so many people had to nail so many things to make this movie what it is. What I thought was interesting is, is, is you, you pulling out the gopher's dance at the end is your thing because the gopher, you know, again, like we don't tend to get too much into the how they made, you know, the movie or whatever type stuff in this podcast, but it kind of, it, it, it can't help but arise in this movie because so much of this movie kind of begs the question, how did they make this movie, right? It should never have worked. It should never have been finished, right? Because it was so madness. And so part of the reason why the, the story changes because I think the studio is getting dailies and they realize like certain things are working better than others. Like when Dangerfield shows up and just annihilates the whole room, they're like, do more of that, less of this more danger. More of that. Right, more of that. Like, right, more of that. So it kind of goes in that direction. 
when they got to the end of it all, they, they're like, we need to, like, the gopher thing was kind of like, you know, this, this this bit of a through line. They wanted to do more to give something that would be there throughout the whole course of the movie, and it's the gopher. The gopher is the one thing that is actually constant throughout the whole movie that tries to give it some sense of constancy, which is hilarious because it's connected to Carl Spackler, who is just the most, like, deranged guy in the whole in the, in the whole film. But... But uh, but yeah, but but it's funny they they actually brought in after the movie was was shot, they brought in John Dykstra, who's uh he's a, he's like an Oscar winning special effects supervisor. He worked on Star Wars, creating like aliens for them. He is the one who made that gopher, and they and had the puppeteer. And was, like, Murray there's... had actual input. Did he really? To the extent that during Caddyshack Two, he, he sued the producers. For, for not paying him for his input on the original Gopher's creation. That's awesome. You know, it, it's funny because you know, we talk, my, my kids have seen this only like the Comedy Central, like TV broadcast version. Sure. Um, and they, the, the Gopher's their favorite part. Like the, 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 yeah. the C4 and the explosives and that, that comedy is so accessible for them at, at you know, yeah. nine, 10 years old or whatever when they saw it, that that stuff speaks to them. Um, even though they, they kind of miss a lot of the, the rest of it. <laughs> Trying to blow up a varmint, varmint Kong. I mean, that's, that's you know, anybody so, can get that. So they don't get, this is a hybrid. This is a cross of uh, a bluegrass, Kentucky bluegrass, featherbed bent, and Northern California since Mia. No, they, they don't get They don't get, <laughs> they don't get that. The, they don't get the, the monkey. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but... You know, you talked about like this is a movie of moments, Chris. I mean, like we talk about Bill Murray. I mean, he was on. He just sort of showed up and like just did a couple scenes. Like, stick around, please do some more. Okay. Like some of the best scenes in the movie are the scenes where he's just like being Carl and just saying insane stuff. That's just like like the Dalai Lama speech. You know? Oh my <laughs> like, God! Like I, I, that is one of those <laughs> things that just has so much currency. So I got that one for me, which is nice. <laughs> like we, we could say that about anything, <laughs> right? So good, um, but then there's also um, that scene where he's his his famous, you know, it's in the hole, it's in the hole, like Cinderella story, Cinderella <laughs> story, yeah, like he just, he's just blasting those moms. He did that in one take, just one take. They nailed it the first time. So you're basically watching live theater of just Bill Murray being, you know, channeling Carl Speck. I saw good with these those guys flowers were. just disintegrating. It was so lovely. <laughs> Those flowers never saw it coming. I mean, it's like, it's like, like blasting a mom with the, with the, the driver shouldn't be as funny as it is. It's just wham. It's like, holy crap. You know? Old school so. weed whacker, man. That's before the uh, two right. strokes, you know? Exactly. Oh, that was like that was that was like a modern scythe at the time. <laughs> the, no, Chris, the, so okay. much of it was just the, the ad living. I mean, like, Bill, you had to come up with the script for the live read, you know, only to find out that there really wasn't one. <laughs> no. Just kind of story in and of itself. I mean, that, that's just great. Like, Bill, you did piece that together basically from dialogue because the script basically didn't exist. And, like, that just goes to show how how much ad lib there was in this and how like all that stuff was just so masterfully executed. I mean, particularly Murray like, and even the, the scene between him and, and, and Chevy Chase, you know, like uh, all ad lib stuff. Oh my it's, God. It's oh crazy God. to think that that somebody could just come up with that at the drop of a hat. It's, it's, it's awesome. out of it and then play 18 the next day. But, you know, but more than that, you know, there, there's so many things about it that don't make sense. Like, you know, Maggie comes to Danny. She's late. Who? For not being pregnant. Oh, oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> Thanks for nothing. Thanks for nothing. And, and the original wet blanket. And then when she realizes when which well, when I guess she gets her period, you know, and realizes she's not pregnant, like she's out there dancing in a gown on the first hole as though she's living in a dormitory. <laughs> or on the golf course it, yeah that doesn't make sense at she all might very well be it's like they remembered <laughs> it's like they remembered oh wait a minute we have this pregnancy subplot that we need to resolve um quick finder bring her back we get into the scene <laughs> yeah. so she's she's dancing around in a white cotton nightgown <laughs> yeah, it, makes, and, it makes no sense it makes at all. no sense at all but uh, what a movie but never has a movie that didn't make sense make so much sense. Like, yeah. like, like it's all it's all so uniquely absurd. Like it, 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 the individual things they don't really 
they don't really fit cleanly anywhere. But because of that, they all somehow fit with each other. And, and that, that that's the weird, unique chemistry of this movie. It's so it's so weird that that it works as well as it does. It just it's so weird. I mean, you know, there's something to be said for the fact that I feel really satisfied to have said, leave for not being pregnant. <laughs> I hear she's the biggest whore on Fifth Avenue. <laughs> she's been plucked more times than the Rose of Tralee. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you know, but you, you mentioned the, the stuff about Bill Murray coming in like a, you know, natural disaster and just plowing his way through through some of the filming. Think about that and the fact that I think about uh, John Belushi doing the same thing through the Blues Brothers and these two guys, like these guys were on Saturday Night Live. And like, you know, we talk about what that must have been like in the late 70s with these talents who just were out of their minds the entire time. They were talented. They were (laughs) deeply altered. Yeah. and, And just funny. Yeah. Mitch Kumstein, my college roommate. <laughs> <laughs> Some of those throwaway gags are absolutely hysterical. The cooter preference test, really? <laughs> that was a real thing. That was a real thing. The cooter, the cooter preference test. It's just that you know that the way they say it, they don't like they don't mean K-U-D-E-R. <laughs> oh my so god. I jump ship in Hong Kong and make way over to Tibet and you know a caddy a looper a jock <laughs> anytime anytime anybody hurts their arm oh yeah. my arm oh my arm i, I think like... it's broken <laughs> exactly <laughs> well you know, here's the thing tom you're talking about how this movie killed fresca how did this movie not kill baby ruth it did it did. When was the last so you, when was the last time you saw a baby Ruth in a store? They're not around. Okay, it's baby Ruth. You know, that's my favorite part about that pool scene. Well, so the pool scene is is this insane. Like you're thinking to me, Tom, there's a water ballet team. There's a moment where the caddies do water ballet and they're like swimming. Like it's just so like it's just so maddening. But oh, of course of course the, the baby Ruth gets thrown to the water floating there. Everybody thinks it's a piece of fecal matter, right? My favorite part about that whole thing isn't when Bill Murray gets it at the, at the bottom of the pool after they drain the whole pool. He goes, it's not bad. It's not bad. He's eating it and making people faint. It's when people are evacuating. Like, the Jaws music is playing. They're all freaking out. And you see Spaulding with his snorkel on. And <laughs> Mrs. Smale's like, Spa! She goes, Spaulding, no! And you're like... Because she knows in her heart, there's there's not a zero percent chance Spalding just won't eat it, right? (laughs) (laughs) I can't trust Spalding to not disregard this log in the pool. So just shout it out. This is so funny to me. Oh god! But yes, it it has forever changed how I look at Baby Roof now. I can't. I just can't. That's the pool scene, man. I just I can't do it. So. Oh God! Anyway, that, you know that scene really is kind of important. You know, from the the you know the the class critique standpoint of the film, yeah. it's also problematic. You know, <laughs> you, you, the way they treat Lacey Underall is just oh. <laughs> well, you know, the, the movie. I mean, the movie is is so clearly it's made it's made by pubescent boys for right. pubescent boys. Whether yeah. you happen to be of that age or not, you know, and women are treated as sexual objects throughout the entire movie. <laughs> There's only you know three women of note uh, in the whole story, which is which is you know Lacey Underall, Maggie, and Mrs. Smales. And even Mrs. Smales gets an eye full of of Danny Newton and likes what she sees at one point. <laughs> like, you know, you want to live my, my stretch marks? Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. right. So, does I mean, not want to make fourteen dollars the hard way. Yeah, you know. So no, no. So that is a problematic aspect of it. You know, for, no, for sure. But this is this is this. I suspect this movie is kind of like it's um, it's kind of like how like there's a little saying like uh, the difference between men and women is that men like the Three Stooges. There are women out there who are fans of Caddyshack. I mean, we had a couple. On, on that live read we did, Tom, who just loved the movie. It's got a higher, higher, you know, uh, uh, degree of difficulty. I think for people, you know, just I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Gunga, gungala, gunga. <laughs> you know, there's a story that apparently Jesse Ventura, when he was governor of Minnesota, the story goes he met with the Dalai Lama, right? And of course, he has to because Jesse Ventura was the Carl Spackler of governors, right? So. <laughs> 
So he, he's talking to the Dalai Lama, and of course, ultimately, what does he ask the Dalai Lama? Hey, by the way, because Ventura has seen Caddyshack, he goes, do you golf? <laughs> right? Right. the Lama. Right? Long. <laughs> At which point, the Lama goes, no, I never picked up a golf club. And then apparently, as they're leaving, the Lama turns back to him and he goes, Gunga, Gunga Lagunga. <laughs> If that story's not true, I don't want to know about yeah. it. <laughs> like, I, I, no, it's true. It's a funnier world with that uh, story. I think two-thirds <laughs> of us will agree that it's true. <laughs> exactly. It better be true. That's all I know. So, yeah, no. A little light goes out of the world if it's not true. So, it has to. <laughs> therefore, it must be. So, before we wrap up, a final thought here. So, while Caddyshack is only 99 minutes long, you could probably make a documentary that's 299 minutes long with just people retelling everyone's stories about the making of this movie. That is, if the folks who were there could remember enough of it. When you watch Caddyshack, it's clear that just about everyone on the set is having a great time, in large part because when the cameras weren't rolling, they were having a really great time. <laughs> <laughs> the creative anarchy allowed to run free on this one. It's why we have such incredible moments, like Carl Spackler annihilating moms with the golf driver, Al Chervik telling Judge Smales about pants that come with free soup, and Ty Webb giving a class on how not to shoot tequila. So when somebody had the bright idea to create a Caddyshack 2 some eight years later, what could have followed but disaster? The much derided sequel is as joyless and as uninspired as its predecessor was the opposite. And there's a reason why most of the original cast bailed on the sequel. But Caddyshack 2 is worth mentioning if only to underscore just how special Caddyshack itself really is. By channeling Second City, Saturday Night Live, the Marx Brothers, and enough cocaine to sink a battleship, Caddyshack became the cinematic equivalent of Captain America's shield, with a unique blend of elements that made it both unstoppable and unrepeatable. When folks create comedy that really works, there's always a temptation to try to replicate that success. But catching lightning in a jar a second time is never likely to work. All you're going to get is a thunderbolt of disappointment while shouting, RAT FARTS! at an uncaring sky. The comedy gods never give the same gift twice. That they give gifts at all is something we should be thankful for. After all, making people laugh may be serious business, but taking that business too seriously is the worst kind of joke, the one you play on yourself. On behalf of myself, Tom, Chris, Joe, and the entire staff of the Bushwood Country Club, this has been Moments of Truth. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Moments of Truth is hosted by Bill Coffin, Chris Crenshaw, Tom Hespos, and Joe Pace. This podcast is edited by Derek Eisenhart. The Moments of Truth theme is a mashup of The Clermont by Flash Fluherty and a little help from a Texas Instruments Speak and Spell. For more Moments of Truth, be sure to subscribe to this show wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And for hundreds of additional write-ups of my favorite movies, please visit BillCoffin.com. Ha, 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 ha.